filler in business books and audiobooks takes up time that you don't have. You're here because you want the golden nuggets from each book without all the BS. The more you learn, the more power you have to affect the world around you. This is the Cut the Crap Podcast. Never read a book again. And here's your host, Ryan Caligiuri. What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me on another episode of Cut the Crap Podcast. Really excited today to bring you Neil Hopkins. Neil, how's it going, man? It's good. It's good, Ryan. It's good. How are you? Always good, my friend. I'm always good. So Neil and I had been talking previously about story for leaders, and he was talking about how he really liked the book and how a book made an impact on his career. So I wanted to get the man on and talk a little bit about the book. But before we talk about the book, Neil, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Okay. My name's Neil Hopkins. Hello, everybody. Um, I'm currently head of communications working in local government here in the UK. And really, my aim in, in this kind of existence is to positively make a difference in the world, in the universe. And I do that through behavior change and social marketing practice, particularly. Very nice. And I love talking to people like you because you're so passionate. <laughs> I love it, man. Likewise, likewise. <laughs> so awesome. s- Story for Leaders. I picked up this book and like I was telling you, I had a tough time finding this book uh, in, in Canada, United States. I had to order it off of Amazon. It came from Amazon UK. Obviously, the author, um, David Pearl, he's, uh, he's from the United Kingdom. Um, so, so what did you get from it, man? I mean, from, from my perspective, reading the book, I was very excited to read it because I love the idea of storytelling. I'm a marketer at heart. So any book that gets deep into storytelling, I'm a big fan of, but I'm more interested in what you took from the book. So lead us into some of the things that you thought about the book that um, made an impact on you, made an impact on your career. Some of the biggest takeaways that you took away from the book, lead us through it, man. (laughs) Well, I think it was it was an interesting one. It was given to me by a colleague who went to um, went to a training session actually in in London and and came back kind of really enthused um, about kind of storytelling over here in the UK. Storytelling is, if you like, it's the big thing of of the moment. Everyone wants to tell a story. Everyone's um, interested in why stories work. Why people and why we as a species actually back to the time of the caveman and drawing on cave walls why we're interested in telling stories and how we can actually construct the world around us through stories and what this means for marketers whether that's on obviously the commercial side of life trying to sell more stuff to more people more often um, or on the sort of social side and trying to, to influence behavior and one thing that was really quite powerful for me and quite early on in the book was around the idea that stories really create our reality and it's not spreadsheets and it's not those presentations and i'm sure ryan like me and like so many others listening to this you've been in those meetings where you get the powerpoints Mm -hmm. and you get the bar chart and the graph of doom and it's really (laughs) really dull and that's and that's not what business should be about business is about people it's about stories it's about interesting things whether that's to change behaviors or sell more stuff to more people more often stories are incredibly powerful but at the same time there's a time and a place for it because you do need to communicate with charts, with graphs. There's a time and a place for it. The challenge here, though, is that most of us in business, we just default to communicating through PowerPoints and through you know bar charts and all that stuff. And it's very droll. There's no storytelling throughout that. There's no yin and yang here. There's too much balance on the uh, or there's too much weight on the presentations that don't incorporate an element of storytelling. What do what happens when we do that, though, Neil, like you read the book and David goes into some information on that, you know, the idea of uh, a plan versus a story, you know, break into that one, because that for me was a huge takeaway. 
Definitely. Um, and the plan, I think, so our, what I took from the book was around um, just the technical side of things and the tactical execution and the, on Monday we do this, on Tuesday we do that, on Wednesday we do the third thing. That's the plan. And you need the plan to get through the day and you need the plan, the bar charts and, and all of that to, to check back and do the effectiveness testing and so on. But actually a story is where you can have the exploration so you can throw the butts in. So you put up a scenario, yes, but, oh, there's a barrier we've got to overcome. How are we going to do this? Or um, David also uses so. And so, and so, for example, it might well be um, you have a particular scenario and you link it together with the action. So a new shop has opened on the high street that sells nails. So I can build a bookshelf so I can read stuff, but... My walls are really thin and they don't take nails very well. How do I get over this? How do I overcome these barriers? And that was a, actually quite a clever way of splitting down what sounds quite kind of airy-fairy in this nice idea of storytelling and, and marketers getting around and telling stories around the campfire mm-hmm. into how can we explain this in a way that the C-suite will kind of get. This is story. This is not fabrication, which sometimes people put story into, but this is creatively bringing together different elements, different parts, exploring options, mm-hmm. actually, before we get to the final bit that will become the plan, the this is what we shall do and we shall put it on a bar chart. Mm-hmm. It's the, almost the, the fun bit. Let's so, go and explore. So why is that important, though? Why should people do that? Because I'll, what I, my intuition tells me that when people read books like this, they understand it. They, they, they get it. However, do they actually put it into practice? You know, they say, I understand the importance of storytelling, but I feel like there's some gap between them understanding it and them actually understanding how to execute on it. So number one question, why is it important? And number two, how are you utilizing storytelling in your own job? Number one, um, I think human beings are actually born to play, to be honest. Hmm. We, like, we, we like exploring. We like, we're, we're kind of naturally, we're natural explorers. We, we, we strike stones on each other and suddenly fire comes up and think, oh, that's fun. Mm. Um, where's the marshmallow? Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so, and, and we have, we have that, that thing kind of built in. And also there is, there's something I've been reading over here um, relatively recently about how businesses sort of forget to play and sort of forget to have that bit of fun and that bit of exploration. And as you're bringing that back in saying, okay, let's, let's go back. Let's remember when we were kids, let's have that um, emotional and kind of cognitive link back to the fun parts where everything was it was just amazing and you could put a sheet over a chair and suddenly you were in a a kind of a a martian habitat and whatever let's bring that back in and say how can this make us a better business how can we be better for Mm. for our customers and for the for the bottom line on that one how am i um how am i putting it together so i've only just only just read the book so like you i had had slight problems getting kind of getting hold of it uh once my colleague brought it back earlier in the earlier in the year um but really looking for opportunities to bring people from different parts of our organization together um, and basically say, let's run, th- kind of almost, let's run through some scenarios. Let's imagine what if. Let's ask the question, what if? Mm-hmm. How, how does this? Um, and change, slightly change the language around kicking off projects and kicking off plans. Um, so rather, rather than kind of let's do, well, what if? 
How can we how can we explore this? And some some of it for me is quite a sort of subtle language shift, or I'm just explaining stuff yes. uh, to people and my my colleagues, and and not necessarily really big kind of storytelling workshops or mm-hmm. all that sort of big kind of jazz hands flashing lights, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which tends to get heads of communications in hot water every now and again. But um, but yeah, just really sort of subtle language shifts and mm-hmm. talk to people about how we bring it together. Mm-hmm. I've actually started using words almost different actors. Ah. And so talking to people in, in those terms, who, who are the actors in this? It's not necessarily partners or, um, or just people who need to be involved. What part do people play? What roles do people play? When do we bring them in and out? And actually some of um, what David was talking about using time jumps. So mm-hmm. let's, if we're talking about a particular project now, so we want to kick off, um, I don't know, we want to build a new website, for example, mm-hmm actually fast forward in our minds six months to the other end of the story when the thing's built and look back what has this done for us how has this helped us to achieve things imagine imagine a future perfect mm. if you like then use that technique of looking back to say mm. oh actually we, in our in our story yeah we did that but you know what in in week three we had a real problem with this bit of code but we fixed it by doing such and such that's right and actually then using those the look back from the future perfect hmm. to nip some of the problems in the bud at you before they, they rock up. Interesting technique. You know, for me, one of the things that I really took away from the book that I really enjoyed was um, how easy it is to actually put stories into business. And I think the challenge for a lot of us, though, because storytelling, a lot of people believe that it's an, it's an art. It's just something that, that you're born with, though, and you have this ability to tell stories. And David really demystifies that. And he says, no storytelling isn't something that you're born with. It's something that's very difficult and it's something that can be taught. And I agree with that. And I think the challenge is a lot of us, when we just look at it, we say, oh, storytelling is too tough. We can't do that. Um, you know, it's not applicable. I work in the government. I can't do that here. Or I work for a Fortune 500 company. You know, we don't have room for storytelling here, Ryan. If I worked for an entrepreneurial organization, sure, I can get storytelling through in my marketing and I can get it through in my PR. I can get through in my social media. Hold on a second. You can also do storytelling internally as well, too. So I like the idea that you brought up there with the website. So an example of something for, um, let's say you're building that website, but it was a big monumental task. It was huge and people (laughs) just didn't want to get it done. You might need to use storytelling to convince them. You might need to use storytelling to compel them. You might want to use storytelling to excite them, to want to do it. And something that Neil or something, Neil, something that David uses in the book, um, he calls them anchor dotes. Now, do you remember that one, Anchor Dotes? Yes. Yeah, so, yes. so it's the whole idea of trying to anchor a thought into somebody's mind by using anecdotes. And anecdotes are just small stories that um, can be about a person, a situation, and we all have these stories, every single one of us, based on our own experiences. So question for you, kind of putting you on the spot, um, have <laughs> you ever thought about using anecdotes when communicating with your team? So for example, when you guys are putting together something big, um, something monumental, you have to try to change the culture, you need to try to excite somebody. It could be one-on-one, it could be one-to-many. Have you ever thought about the idea of using anecdotes at all in your communication strategy internally? I have. Um, and it's something that, again, the, the, book, the book brought out in a way that was different to how I'd, I'd thought about it before. Um, and kind of that anchor dotes I actually quite liked and, and will remember and, and help you use much more. Um, but I think there's really something underlying that that's around the, the human lived experience of these things. Mm-hmm. So we all have, essentially, we all have these stories. We all have the, um, the, the memory of 
jobs and tasks and projects we've taken on in the past where we've learned something and we can use those little bits of wisdom to, to drop into to other things. And actually, I just think it makes it more human. So you're not necessarily pitching this big, huge, great idea, but you're able to bring this big kind of nebulous thing that's on new websites, whatever it might be, down to actually quite a human scale. Mm. Uh, it could be some of the ones I've used before are um, rolling out ideas around um, websites and email marketing and saying, actually, wouldn't it be easy if we could book tickets like we book um, airline fares, hmm. things like that. Last weekend, I, I booked some, some flights for my parents and I was done in four minutes flat. Hmm. Wouldn't it be fabulous if we could do this for, for our business? How much time would our customers save? And actually, how, um, how much more chilled out would they be when they eventually phone us for something? And people go, oh, yeah. That works. I really, I really see that. I've booked those tickets. Actually, last time I did it, I had a real problem. And I phoned Ryanair and we talked it through. And actually, they were great. Um, and it enable, it brings people in and almost invites conversation at a really, really human level. The one thing I did think reading that and interesting with, with that part is I've also worked with people in the past who have anecdotes for everything. <laughs> <laughs> and after a little while, you think you'd have to be like 99 to have done all of this stuff. And there is, I think there's a bit of a balance in there, in there somewhere between somewhere who's someone who's been, yeah. been there and done it all. Right? <laughs> just Well-placed kind of, actually, yeah, this is, this is something cool that happened. Um, yeah. You're a pathological liar. You're coming up with stories on <laughs> left, right and center. You've lived quite the life. How old are you? I'm 20. All right. So this is really exciting for me. And I don't want to go into a diatribe here, but I have to just take some time to, to point this out here. What you're doing here, what you just mentioned, is absolutely key in any organization that wants to innovate. Innovation is just one of those buzzwords, but if you want to create something meaningfully unique, something new, a new product, a new service, a new offering, um, a new, new system internally, the best way to do that, number one, to overcome the barriers that we all naturally have in our mind, because if you try to propose something new, people will look at you and they'll say, Ryan, we can't do that because of this. Neil, we can't do this because we, we don't have enough money. We don't have this. We don't have the people. Because they've told themselves a story. It's exactly what you said. They've told themselves a story. They've convinced themselves that it's not possible because of the story they've told themselves. So how do you open that up? How do you break down those walls? That's exactly how. When I led innovation teams, we would collect a whole load of stimulus. And stimulus meaning uh, customer insights, competitor insights, patent database insights, um, uh, insights from futurists, insights from unrelated industries. And so we presented this information to the groups that just thought, no, we can't do this. We can't build this. We, we don't have a solution for this. We presented them with information and then we stimulated their mind with what if questions. We said, what if you didn't have this? Or what if we could leverage something like this? Or what if we could do that? We actually use a tool to completely break up uh, everyone's sort of their construct of what they believe reality is with um, a tool that we say, um, what if everything that you know today was destroyed? Your business, your systems, the processes, and you had to be rebuild it from the ground up. How would you do that? What would it look like? There are no constraints, no budget constraints, no constraints of money. You just have to build it in the most perfect fashion that you would. And we just allow people to sort of write, a, you know, take 10 minutes and write down on paper what that would look like. And all of a sudden now they're telling themselves a story that excites them, that gets them going. And then from there, that's where you build the innovation. That's where you get the ideas from. So the fact that you're doing this in your department is pretty remarkable because 
a lot of people, they struggle with trying to come up with ideas for innovations or new ideas to solve problems, uh, new ideas to capitalize on opportunities. And sometimes some of the most easiest techniques, the what if technique is one of my most favorite. And the fact that you're using that, man, pretty awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Certainly, it's something new that we're, we're trying, but um, I, I love it. I mean, it reminds me um, many, many years ago. Here's one of those lovely anchor dotes. Um, Honda. Certainly over here in the UK, they ran a beautiful TV campaign. Um, and it's, it was voiced over by Garrison Keillor, and it had the world's favourite word is okay. Hmm. What if, And basically, what if, the world's favourite phrase was what if. And it broke this Honda factory. And it was a beautiful piece of advertising because it just said what if. What, and then, of course, their payoff, the power of dreams. Hmm. How brilliantly appropriate for business. Let's dream big. Look at that. Apple, look at Elon Musk, who um, obviously David Pearl obviously really, really likes to admire throughout the book. He, he references Elon Musk and his um, plan to die on, to die on Mars, mm-hmm. um, hopefully at a, a very old age, obviously. That's right. <laughs> um, <laughs> just quickly underline that one. Um, but yeah, the, that power of dreams, what if? And that is a real gateway into, into behavior change, into also giving yourself permission to do that kind of bit of daydreaming. And daydreaming can be seen as quite luxurious, mm-hmm. I think, in business. But those few minutes, just like, oh, what if we did so-and-so? How many of our amazing kind of bits of technology and stuff that we fill our lives with wouldn't, it would not exist if someone didn't sit back and go, you know what, what if? Absolutely, my friend. That's one of my most favorite points. It's one of my most favorite takeaways from this interview. That's such a good point and definitely something I would encourage all of you listening out there to try to incorporate into your daily routines. When you see problems and you see challenges or you see people getting down, throw that what if question out there and see what you get back. I'm not going to tell you that it's going to be easy and people are going to give you stuff right away, but it's, it's building that muscle. It's building that habit, but challenge people to open up their minds, to challenge um, you know, different perspectives and have them create a new story that maybe they haven't thought about before. So, Neil, before we finish up here, I got to know, what's another takeaway? Give me one more takeaway that you got from the book. I think one of the really powerful ones, Ryan, was around um, leaders acknowledging the different ways that people experience the world. Mm. Um, And David lists uh, three particular ones. I think there's I think there are actually more than this, but the ones he lists are visual, auditory and kinesthetic. So people getting up and, and doing stuff. And it's amazing. Um, I find it amazing when you go back and you look at language and you look at how people, actually how people think quite often. If you're in meetings and people are waving their arms and looking around with their eyes, that's a visual thinker. How can you communicate? How can you tell a story to a, a visual thinker? Auditory, obviously people like to sit and listen to stuff so they can sometimes get away with the big presentations or they really like listening to stories or the kinesthetic people, the kinesthetic learners particularly, they love getting up and doing and their, their way of embedding something in their brain, of making new neural connections and, and pe- literally piecing new things together is to get up and, and sort of say, right, you've told me that if I do this, X will happen. Mm-hmm. Well, let me get it. Let me take it apart. Let me get my hands in it. Let me get dirty um, with it. And actually, that's so important for getting... Man- everything from management meetings right to big presentations to small product launches and actually as a leader just being able to understand and relate to people in that way because if you talk to a kinesthetic learner in kind of visual terms they may not get it or in audit- auditory terms they just don't get it and you lose you lose that connection you lose the ability to then say come into the story come and be part of this because you're actually talking a different language mm. and that's really powerful it's incredibly powerful, and I think it's, that's, that's, it's, a, it's a good point, but very difficult as well, too, because if you're doing a presentation to a, a department or a group of people, 
everybody has a different way of taking in a story. Like, like you said, you know, there's three different types, which means there's three different types of people there. How do you know who's in the room? You don't. And so the challenge for you, though, and the challenge for everybody out there is to try to create a story or try to create some sort of um, narrative that applies to all three so that there's something in there. Now, my question to you is, do you think it's possible to do it for all three or is it impossible? Can we do that? I think it's definitely possible. Um, so I mean, David, I think David runs through a couple of methodologies, but one of the things I've really reflected on since finishing the book is um, how I speak and how I present and how I write and trying to mix up the sensory information in there. So for example, um, it, really interesting, when I, I was writing notes for this interview, I wrote down, leaders acknowledge different ways of seeing the world. Mm. Now I'm a, I'm a visual thinker, and as soon as I wrote seeing, I went, oh, Okay, I'm a, a visual thinker. I understand why I've used this language. So obviously, I um, I really see. I'm just use it as an example, Brian. I mean, I really see the benefit of having a chat to you now, talking talking about this book, and I can really hear in your voice that you're right in there on the story. And actually, I feel that there are people out there who are listening to this, who will hopefully pick up this book, read it, and become as inspired as we are. Mm-hmm. I see, I hear, I feel. And if we design the presentations, if we design the bar charts, if we design the PowerPoint, whatever, but we're able to use those bits of language and actually talk to people in those ways, I think you really can knit together incredibly diverse personality and learning types and bring them all into the into the story. Okay, they may not all get the I see or I hear, but there'll be enough for each of them to come and join and then take it and make it their own and go outside and, you, and sort of say, you know what, I, this is what I heard in that meeting or I really saw the progress our company's making etc or I really feel part of this they can then take it they remix it into their their own language their own way of experiencing this world talk to other people who are in this sort of similar sets and it ripples out from there so I think it's definitely possible but on the part of the leader I think it just requires that extra bit of thought an extra bit of self-reflection I absolutely love that anything that helps us to communicate more effectively with more passion with more clarity um, to me, that's a great thing. And that's something that all of us need to continually work on. You know, myself, I mean, I, you and I, we're both communicators. We do this for a living. And yet I always feel like I'm always learning something new, new techniques, new approaches to doing it. So, Neil, it's been an absolute pleasure having an opportunity to talk with you today and get some, some new perspectives from you. I mean, there are some takeaways and different things that you took away from the book that I didn't. So, again, I hope that people out there listening, they found a lot of value from this interview. And, uh, Neil, you know what? If anyone wants to get in touch with you, how do they get in touch with you? The best way is probably through Twitter, which is at Interactor. Um, alternatively, have a look at my currently slightly dormant but soon to come back to life website. It's interactor.co.uk. Fantastic. I'll make sure I get that in the show notes so that anybody who wants to connect with you, they can go ahead and do that. Neil, it's always such a pleasure speaking with you, my friend. We'll have to do this again soon. I look forward to it, Ryan. Thank you. Thank you.